celebrate uh, as Jesus uh, uh, walks into, into Jerusalem. I mean, again, what we know as, as the triumphal entry of, Jews, of Jesus into, into Jerusalem, which is one week before his resurrection, which is going to be next Sunday that we're going to look at it, and we would call it Easter, right? Now, Palm Sunday uh, marked the start of what is often called Passion Week or, or Holy Week. Uh, it's, it's a marking the, the start of the final seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry before he was crucified. Uh, interesting that, that, the, that the, this, this incident is recorded in all four of the Gospels. You could look at it in, in uh, Matthew chapter 21. You could look at it in Mark 11. You could look at it in John 12. And, and, and you could look at it in Luke 19, which we're going to be in this morning. And so with that, uh, starting in verse 28 of Luke 19, it says, When he had said this, he went on ahead again up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, where as you enter, when you enter, you will find a colt tied on, uh, which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And verse 31 says, And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so, verse 28, as we pick it up here in verse 28, we kind of we kind of jump like right in the middle of the story, right? We we we're, we're jumping like right in the middle of an incident that had already occurred that that, that that whole day. And so, and just to understand this, you know, the verse 28 starts off with, with saying, uh, "When he had said this," and so what he's talking about, what he's talking about is the things that he had just said previously, uh, starting from verse 11 up until verse uh, 27. We see that that Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples. Uh, they all knew that he was on his way to Jerusalem, and they expected that day to be the day that Jesus was going to enter Jerusalem, establish his kingdom, ride in, uh, ride in victoriously, uh, overthrow Rome, set up his kingdom on earth, set these guys to rule with them, and it was just going to be this glorious reign of the Messiah here on earth. All right? And so as, as he was entering Jerusalem, yeah, he, he had to, to kind of correct their, 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 their timeline, so to say. Right, and so they thought that all right, man, that's it. You know, the, that's it. It's gonna happen today. Today's the day. You know, it's 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 the day we've been waiting for. We're gonna reign with them. We're gonna rule with them. It's gonna be an awesome day. And so they had this in mind. And so the Lord had to correct them in that. And so Luke nineteen eleven says this. It says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And so because the disciples anticipated that, that Jesus would, would establish his kingdom immediately, he spoke to them in a parable, uh, which, is, which we know as the parable of the minas. And you can read it there from verse 11 to, to 27. And in this parable of the minas, uh, Jesus was explained to, to the disciples. Uh, he, he gives them a parable and he says, hey, look, there's this, and if you guys don't know, a parable is pretty much an, an illustrative way of, of, of getting a message across. And so he gives them this parable of, of, of the minus, which is a, a certain amount of, 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 of monetary of monetary gain of money. And so in this parable, he, uh, Jesus says, there was this owner, right? Of, 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 uh, there's a master of a house who had these servants. And he gave each, to, he gave each of the servants uh, the same amount of money. And he went away for a while and he came back and he kind of checked up on, on, the, on the workers to see you know, what they had done with the money. Right? And the whole purpose of the parable was to explain that, that the kingdom of God will be delayed. These guys thought that, 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 that God was going to set up his kingdom right away. And instead, Jesus told them, look, it's not going to happen right away. But in the meantime, I've entrusted you with something. Right? And, and, and in the meantime, while the kingdom is, is, is going to be set up, in the meantime, you're to be busy about the Father's business. You're, you're to be busy with what, with what God has entrusted you with. 
Right? And so the point of the parable was to explain that the kingdom would be delayed. So we must concentrate on being faithful servants in the meantime. And so after the saying, uh, we're told that he went up to Jerusalem, uh, making it clear that he would not set up the kingdom of God on earth yet. And, 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 and knowing fully what awaited him that day and a few days from that day, he went up to Jerusalem. Right? Jesus knew. We know that, that, that while Jesus was here on earth, you know, he was a 100% man and 100% God. So he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen as soon as he went to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen uh, four or five days from then. He knew that he was going to be uh, betrayed by one of his disciples whom he loved, whom he poured into, whom he taught, whom, you know, who saw the miracles, whom he spoke to, whom he spent countless nights uh, uh, there by the bonfire talking with, the, uh, a man by the name of Judas. He knew all this stuff was going to happen. All right? And yet we see that, that, that Jesus you know, still went to Jerusalem. Right? It, it, knowing, knowing what was going to happen. Knowing what was going to happen. John eleven fifty seven tells us that, that Jesus was, was a wanted man. He knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he knew that, hey man, there, there's, a, there's a hit out for him. Right? There's a target on his back. He knew that they were looking for him. John eleven fifty seven tells us that the religious rulers were trying to get their hands on him. And it says, now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where, where Jesus was, that, that they should report it. That they might seize him. And so Jesus was a wanted man. Uh, there had been numerous attempts on his life. Those three and a half years of, of earthly ministry. While, while he was doing ministry here on earth. There had been numerous attempts on, on his life. Uh, there in the Gospel of John. We read about times where you know, he said something outrageous to the, to the religious le- leaders. And by outrageous, you know, he made claims of being God. And being the son of God. And by that, they, and, and a couple of instances, they took up stones. And they tried to kill him. You know, and all of a sudden, he disappeared from their midst. On one occasion, they, they, they wanted to throw him over a cliff, but he kind of disappeared into the, into the crowd. And so they were after him already. You know, they, they, they hated Jesus, plain and simple. They wanted to get rid of him. And so knowing... And that day, who was in charge? The, the, the religious or the Roman? So in, in, in that time there in Israel, uh, Israel was, was kind of governed by, by Rome. So Rome was set up as, as kind of like their, uh, their overseers. So they were under the jurisdiction of Rome. But yet, under their jurisdiction, Rome let them kind of do their own, have their own little religious laws and their own ceremonies and execute their own little judgments according to their law. And we're going to see uh, next Sunday, as we study the crucifixion, we see that, that, that the religious rulers, according to their law, they, they could kill somebody for, for blaspheming God. But because they were under Roman rule, they had to take it all, uh, all the way to, 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 to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman ruler at that time over Israel. Because technically they couldn't exercise you know, a, a capital punishment since they were under Rome. And so even though that went on, I mean, they still broke the law. They still were doing all kinds of shady stuff uh, under the table and, and behind the scenes. They tried to kill Jesus, which is unlawful to do, right? But since they were under Roman rule, they had to take them by, uh, through a whole court system and all that. But we see that there was already numerous attempts on, on Jesus' life. And so Jesus, knowing that, he, that the moment he went to Jerusalem, that something was going to pop off, that something was going to happen. But yeah, we're told that, 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 that either way, he still went to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is traveling from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Verse 11 and earlier there, during that chapter 19, we're told that, that Jesus is traveling from Jericho. And as he's there in Jericho, he's going up to Jerusalem, which would be uh, an ascent from 800 feet below sea level to about 2,500 feet above sea level. Meaning that, man, it was, it, was, it was a hard walk. It was a hard walk. They didn't have cars. They didn't have 4 by 4s They didn't have, they weren't on the horses, right? They were walking by foot. And so it was a long, hard walk up to, from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was 
you know, this, this specific road that, that they were walking, it's known as the Old Jericho Road. It was uh, this dangerous, windy, curvy road. I mean, it was hard enough just to get to the city. Now, Jesus, knowing what was awaiting him, you know, as, as, as he got there, would have made it even more harder, right? Even, even, even more harder. So this wasn't an easy walk, right? And what awaited him there was, you know, uh, crucifixion, death in a few days. And again, it didn't make it any easier. But yet, that wasn't going to stop Jesus, right? Uh, the Bible tells us that, that his, eyes was, his eyes were fixed on, on getting to Jerusalem. And so we see that as they drew near Bethpage and Bethany, like it tells us here, we're told that, that there at the Mount of Olives, Jesus instructs two of his disciples, you know, and he, he gives them specific instructions. Now, we're told that he sends, uh, he sends these two disciples to a certain house where they would find a young donkey tied up. Interesting that, that, that we don't have it, uh, these guys' names uh, in any of the, of, of, the, of, the, of the gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We don't have the, the names of, the, of these two disciples, but we, but we know that it was two of the twelve. Uh, we don't know, again, we don't know who it was, but we know that, that Jesus sent two of the twelve disciples to this certain man's house. And he says, all right, when you guys get there, you're going to find a young donkey uh, tied up who it's, who's going to be untamed, right? No one's ever ridden this donkey. And, and then he says, well, as soon as you find him, untie him and bring him to me, right? Now, Jesus had been to Jerusalem many times before this. This wasn't his first time in Jerusalem. Uh, a, a lot of his ministry was spent there in Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, the whole gospel of, of, of John records uh, all of his ministry there in Judea and, and various times there in the city of Jerusalem. So this wasn't his first time in Jerusalem. But we see that, this, that, that, that there was something very special about this specific journey to Jerusalem. And that's because as Jesus is coming up you know, to his last week before the crucifixion, uh, he is carefully and intentionally just setting up the stage for everything that's going to take place from this point on up until Friday, up until the, the, the day of crucifixion. And so he tells them, all right, you're, you're going to go to this house. You're going to find a young donkey on which no one has, has ever sat on, meaning, again, it's untamed. Now, remember, uh, some of his disciples and the people thought that he was going to, to overthrow Rome that day, that he was going to set up his kingdom on earth that day, that they were going to rule with them that day, that that was going to be the end of, of, uh, of all earthly kingdoms and that God's uh, kingdom was going to be set up on earth for, for all eternity that very day. Now, a king coming into a city usually uh, wouldn't come in riding on a donkey. If he was coming in to overtake a city, to do battle, to, you know, wage war, he wouldn't come in on a donkey. He'd come in on a huge stallion, right? The uh, finest breed, the fastest horse. He'd come in, you know, uh, doing war. I mean, waging, waging war and, and come in victorious, right? Looking tough. So a king usually when he would take over a city, he wouldn't come in on a donkey, on, a, on a, just a slow kind of, you know, uh, a humble, humble animal like that. But yet, Jesus tells you guys, all right, go into the city, find this donkey, bring him to me, right? Now, we see that, that, uh, that uh, a king coming in on a horse, uh, which uh, would have been a symbol of victory and war. You know, it means like, man, he's here to do business. But instead, Jesus came in on a donkey, which represents uh, royalty, for one, they're in, in, their, in their culture, but also peace, right? And so we see that when Jesus came the first time as Messiah, he came as the Prince of Peace. That was his first time uh, coming in, presenting himself as Messiah. And so as he was coming, he was presenting himself as the Prince of Peace. He didn't come in to, to wage war. He didn't come to overthrow kingdoms. He didn't come to you know, do anything else but just to present himself as a Messiah, as a sent one of God, as a Prince of Peace. Now we have an instance in the Old Testament in which King Solomon, actually, David's son, uh, came in on, on, on David's donkey. 
And, and as, he, as he was coming into the city and, and as he was be, being proclaimed the king of Israel, we have this instance of King Solomon coming in riding on his dad's donkey, right? And so we know that this, culturally to, to the Jews, this would have been a symbol of royalty. Notice there what it says in 1 Kings 137. It says, As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benai the son of Jehoiada, the, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King Donkey's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed it Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, long live King Solomon. If you're familiar with the story there in 1 Kings, uh, at this point in time, King David is an old man. He's an old man. He, he can't go out and do battle anymore. He's pretty much just on his deathbed. Right? And so he's on his, on his last days. And so at that point, King, King David has many sons. And, and one of his sons, he sees his dad, all right, he's old. He's like, all right, dad's, dad's about to pass away soon. Someone's got to take over the kingdom. And, and one of his sons uh, takes it upon himself to set himself up as king. He goes out there, he blows the trumpet. He, he, uh, he, he, he makes an announcement to all the people there in Israel saying, all right, I'm the next king of Israel. When, when David had never you know, laid hands on him or, or, or appointed him to that position. And so what, what Solomon's mom, Bathsheba, does... Is that she goes into and, and to talk to David. He says, hey, David, remember remember you, you promised me that, that my son is going to be the, the next king of Israel. You had many sons. But remember you said that, that my son was going to be the one that was going to take over the kingdom. He said, yeah. He said, well, well, you have your other son out there who was blowing the trumpet, proclaiming himself as king. And all these people are following him. There's a big old party going on right now. And so what David does is that he made, he establishes the fact that God has put his, his, his call upon, uh, upon Solomon as the next king. And so... David gets a, gives a command to, to the priest, to, to the prophets, to go out there and make a, 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 an official declaration from, from, from King David himself, right? And saying, all right, Solomon is going to be the next king of Israel. And, and as, a, as a symbol that Solomon was going to take over the throne, he lets him ride on his donkey, right, into the city. And so with that, with that in mind, now we see Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem, riding on that donkey, you know, again, that symbol of royalty, that symbol of, of, of really just a, of, of him being the next king. But we see that, again, he came in in peace, right? As the Prince of Peace. And so it goes on to say in there, verse 32 of chapter 19. It says, So when those who were sent their way, uh, so when those who were sent went their way and found the donkey, just as he said to them, but as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, What are you doing here? Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they, and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And verse 36 says, And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, and they began to just shout this, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so what's going on is that as these two disciples go into the city, they find the, the young donkey, just as Jesus had said, right? And, Je and just as Jesus had predicted, the owner says, hey man, what's going on? What are you guys doing with my animal? Leave him alone, right? And they said, all right, uh, the Lord has need of it. So the owner said, all right, you can take him. And now remember, Jesus is God. You know, he, he was, while he was here on earth again, he was 100% man, 100% uh, God. In theology, this is what we call the, the hypostatic union. You know, talking about Christ's full deity and his, and, his, and his full humanity. 
And so he knew what was going to happen. He, he knew what was going to happen that very day, that very hour. Uh, that as he went to Jerusalem, the people's response. Uh, four days from then, uh, as he was going to be uh, betrayed and rejected and, and crucified, he knew. And so he, he tells us, he tells the guys, "All right, go down there. This you're going to find this donkey. This is going to be the response. Let him know that the Lord needs that the Lord needs the donkey." And so it happened just as, as he said, right? And we're told that as they brought the donkey back, we're told that they sat Jesus on the donkey and he rode into the city. And as he was riding into the city, we're told that the multitudes of the disciples saw him riding into the city and they began to praise God. Now, we know that we know from the Bible that, that Jesus had many disciples. Uh, just here in the Gospel of Luke, we have an instance where, where it mentions 70 disciples of Jesus. Now, we know that there was more than that. He had many followers. He had hundreds and, and hundreds of followers as, as he was there in his three and a half year ministry. You know, so as he was riding to the city, many of his followers, many of the disciples saw this happening. They recognized, man, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. They began to just praise God. And as they went in there, you know, they began to, uh, to, to, to just recognize, man, this what's, we're seeing it happen right before our eyes. Right, well, we have been reading the scriptures, what's been predicted for, for many years, right, ever since uh, Genesis chapter 2. It's like the day that they've been waiting for their whole history, for the Messiah of God to come, to come and to set up his kingdom, to, to do away with sin, with lawlessness, with all these things, right? They've been waiting for this, and some of the guys recognize him, but some of them didn't. And so we're told that as he comes in, the multitudes begin to, to praise God for this, right? And really, what, what's going on is that this is a prophecy being fulfilled. There in Zechariah 9.9, we have, we have an instance of this prophecy. And Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And he is just, and he's having salvation. And he comes lowly or, or, or humbly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And so what's going on is that, man, prophecy is being fulfilled right before their eyes. And so we see that as many of the disciples who recognize this as a fulfillment of prophecy, man, they began to praise God for, for that. As they should, right? Man, that's it. This is the day we've been waiting for. Hallelujah. Praise God. They're saying, Hosanna, finally. Right? And they began to quote uh, what we know as a messianic psalm, which is Psalm 118. There's many messianic psalms, which a messianic psalm is pretty much just a, a, a prophetic psalm. It's a, it's a psalm given about the Messiah. And they begin to, to quote a specific psalm, Psalm 118.25, which says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they were saying. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so anybody hearing this, you know, for a Jew at that time, anybody hearing this and, and, and seeing that they're attributing this specific psalm to Jesus, it, it would have I mean, lights would have gone on in their heads. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This, this psalm is about the Messiah. And they're, ta- they're, 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 they're referring to Jesus about him. And they would have known immediately. That's it. He's the one. Or at least they're claiming he's the one. Right? It's something that, that they wouldn't touch. It's like, man, you don't just start quoting that, that, that psalm to anybody. Right? It was a holy thing. It was a, re- a, a reverent thing. Right? And so as they're, as they're, as they're uh, just shouting this psalm from the top of their lungs, we see that up until this point, uh, Jesus and, and Jesus' earthly ministry, he had, he had kind of deferred the people from openly uh, uh, and publicly worshiping him. As you read through the Gospels, if you, uh, uh, if you have if you read, if you read through the Gospels, I mean, just in John chapter 2, we have the, 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 first, the first miracle of Jesus, which is he turned water into wine there at the wedding in Cana. And if, if, you're, familiar, if you're familiar with the story, the story goes that as, as Jesus was there at this wedding, they ran out of wine and his mom comes up to him and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And if you, if you, if you remember Jesus' response was, what does that, I mean, what does that have to do with me? You know, my time has not yet come. 
And all throughout the Gospels, you hear Jesus say this, my time has not yet come, or my time is, is not here yet. Right? And many times Jesus healed people, uh, para, uh, paralytics, you know, blind people, deaf people, mute. He healed, he did all kinds of awesome miracles. And, and these guys would begin to worship him, begin to, 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 to proclaim him as, as king. And he would say, hey, make sure you don't do that yet. Right? He would kind of defer their praise. And, and he would always say, my time has not yet come. And so now, this is, this is actually uh, the only time before uh, the crucifixion, the only time that, that, that Jesus allowed praise and worship of himself. On this day, on Palm Sunday, because his hour had now finally come. We see that after the crucifixion, after the, the resurrection, man, people worshipped him freely and he, he didn't say anything about it. All right, continue worshipping. There's a story in the Gospel of John that once he resurrected, he appeared to the, to the disciples who, who thought that, and that, that, you know, that, that he was dead forever. Right? And among those, those disciples was, was one uh, named Thomas. And he said, man, I'm not going to believe you guys. Uh, Peter came in and Peter and John said, hey, man, Jesus is, is, is alive. He's alive. He said, I'm not going to believe you guys unless, unless, I, unless I, I'm able to see the holes in his hands and put my finger in the, on his wound on the side. And Jesus appeared and, and we're told that, that Thomas immediately began to worship him. And he said, my Lord and my God. Right? And Jesus said, hey, man, you're right. I am your Lord. I am your God. Right? I'm Lord and I'm God. And so we see that, that before the crucifixion, Jesus, again, he deferred worship unto himself. You know, but this is the only day that, that, that he accepted. Why? Because this day was prophesied that it must happen. You know, this is the day that the Messiah was to show up on the scene as the king of Israel. And so it goes on to say there in verse 39. And verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and they said, Hey, teacher, come here. He says, Rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that even if, if, even if, if they don't say anything, even if these should keep silent, he says, those stones will, will immediately cry out. So the, the, the religious Pharisees who were right there waiting for him, they knew he was going to show up. They, they hear these guys uh, 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 attributing this messianic psalm to Jesus, saying, all right, blessed is, is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the Messiah. And the religious Pharisees they say, hey, Jesus, tell these guys to shut up, man. They're not, they can't be saying that about you. And what do you say? He says, hey, man, even if, even if they're quiet, because those stones are going to cry out. Why? What, what, what do you mean by this? Well, we see that there was a mixed response, right, uh, amongst the crowd. As some of the disciples worshipped Jesus and they accepted him, right, as their king, still some of the religious leaders called uh, to put an end to it. Like, man, this can't be happening. Now, it's important to point out that, that, that only Luke uh, records uh, these words of Jesus when he says, I tell you that, that if these should keep silent, those stones would immediately cry out. Only the gospel of Luke records, records these verses for, it, for us. And so we see that these Pharisees were, were envious of the praise and the worship that, 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 that Jesus was getting. Right? They were jealous of, of, of the glory that, 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 was, that was given over to Jesus. I mean, they rejected him from ruling over them. We see that, that, that this is the moment that they should have all been waiting for. I mean, since their whole history right, of time, they were waiting for this specific moment when Jesus would come on the scene as their Messiah. This is the moment that, that they should have all been waiting for, the moment that Messiah would come into Jerusalem and reign as king. But yet, the very religious authority of, of, of Israel... Uh, they rejected him from ruling over them. Now, so Jesus says, hey man, if, if they stay quiet, the, the stones are going to start worshiping me. Right? So why did Jesus say that? Now, keep in mind that, that it, had, it had already been predetermined that that specific day would be the day that Messiah would be anointed as king of Israel. And so the Jews should have known this day. If you guys remember it from our study of Daniel, if you were with us on, on Wednesday nights, and we went through, 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 through the book of Daniel. 
there in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, uh, the Lord actually speaks through, through the prophet Daniel. And, and, he, and he gives him the specific day that, that, we're, that we're reading about right now. And he prophesied it. You know? And so it says this in Daniel 9.24. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sins, to make recon- reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision prophecy. And notice this. And to anoint the most holy, meaning to anoint the Messiah, to anoint the, the, the Christ. And he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So 69 weeks, right? And we, we, went, into, we went into this in detail on, on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to cover it uh, just thoroughly. But we do see that, that, that God prophesied through the prophet Daniel the very day that Messiah would come, which is this very day, uh, the Palm Sunday, as he's riding into the city of Jerusalem. Now we see that, 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 that God gave us a starting point there in this prophecy when he told, all right, this is when Messiah is going to show up. From the time that this decree goes out to, to, to rebuild Jerusalem, he says, you can start counting down the days, and this is the day that he's going to show up. And so, and so the Lord gives us a starting point of, um, of, 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 of the command to build and restore Jerusalem, which is actually in 445 BC when, when King Artaxerxes uh, gave the command for Nehemiah to go back to, the, to, to Israel and to, and to rebuild the city. You can read about it there in Nehemiah 2.1. And so we're told that it was 483 years from the command until Messiah comes. Now there's a small, there's a little book called uh, The Coming Prince by, by a guy by the name of uh, Sir Robert Anderson. Right? He does all the math and, and he breaks down the, the, the Jewish years, which are 360 day years, not 365 uh, day years like we use. But he uses years uh, uh, that contain 360 days. And so he, he, he gets the very day where the command was given out to restore, to build Jerusalem. He does the math, those 69 weeks of 483 years, breaks it down to the days. And he comes up with a number, 173,880 days. And so 173,880 days from the very uh, day that the command went out to rebuild Jerusalem, he does all the math for you, and, he, and, and, and uh, it ends up in, at this very day at Luke 19, as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem on a donkey. Amazing. Amazing. And so the whole point is that these Jews, they should have known this, right? God, God gave them a timeline and, uh, to follow so they can know, right, this is the day when Messiah is coming. This is the day when Messiah Prince is going to be established as king. Right? Meaning that the religious leaders of Israel, I mean, they could have known with, with accuracy. They could have known with accuracy the day Messiah would come. But instead, they rejected him when he came. And that's why Jesus said, hey man, even if, if these stones, even if, if, if these guys stay quiet, those stones are going to cry out. Why? Because this, this day has been prophesied. That, man, they've been waiting 173,880 days and even longer than that. Meaning, right, this day is going to happen. Someone, it's, someone's you know, someone's going to worship Jesus this day no matter who it is. Because this day has been prophesied. From a long time ago. Notice that also Daniel 9.26 tells us. After the 62 weeks. Messiah shall be cut off. But not for himself. And so in that same prophecy of, of Messiah coming into the city. He tells us there in the next verse. He's going to come into the city. He's going to be proclaimed as Messiah. Then he's going to be cut off. Now if you look at it. you know That doesn't really make sense. Because why would you know the day that they've been waiting for, for. For hundreds of years. Thousands of years. He would come be set up as king. Then all of a sudden be cut off. It doesn't make sense, right? And for the Jews, reading that, they, they couldn't comprehend what was going on. They didn't understand the Messiah needed to die. They didn't understand that the Messiah needed to be crucified, needed to, needed to, to, to die so that he could have victory over death. And so we see that that's what's going to happen a, a few days from now on, on, on Friday, which is what we know as Good Friday, the day that Jesus got, uh, got crucified. 
And so it goes on to say there in verse 41. It says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He's coming to the city. People start praising him. The religious guys say, hey man, tell these guys to shut up. You know, Jesus says, hey man, even if they don't say anything, the rocks are going to worship me. And so as he's riding into the city, we're told that, 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 that Jesus, he sees the city and he begins to weep over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come, will come upon you when your enemies will, will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children with, uh, within you to the ground. And they will not leave you, leaving you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Notice that because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so we see that as Jesus coming into the city, you know, he begins to, to weep over the city of Jerusalem. Now that, that that word weep right there, it's, it's it means it means wailing. You know, the original language in the Greek there, it, it has this this is this strong uh, emotional word. Uh, you know, compared to like wailing or or these these sobbing tears of pain of sorrow, right? And and why was Jesus weeping over the city? Well, he was weeping because for the most part, they had rejected him. He came in. It was a day that was prophesied about them. I mean, this day was all about them. Right? And, then, and them receiving their king. And, and for the most part, they, they rejected his ruling over them as king. On the very day that they should have been waiting for him, they missed it. I like what, what, the, what the Gospel of Matthew records for us. And there in the Gospel of Matthew, when, when this goes on, Matthew records for us. And he says this is in Matthew 23, 37. And these are the words of Jesus. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones the ones that are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, uh, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He says, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not uh, see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we see that as, as, as he was coming into the city, there was two, two responses. And we see that when it comes to Jesus, there's always two responses. There, there always is. It's either you receive them, embrace it, embrace his, 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 uh, his lordship over you, or, or you reject them. There's no middle line. Jesus said, hey man, if, if they're not for us, they're against us. You can't be neutral. When it comes to the Lord, when it comes to, to, to Jesus' lordship over your life, there's no neutral ground. He says, if you're not with us, you're against us. That's what he says, right? And so... We see that, that, that in this crowd, you know, that there, was, there was two different responses. One of rejoicing over his lordship, and the other was an outright rejection to it from these religious rulers. We're going to see that, 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 that these same, a lot of these same people who were, who were praising him and saying, Hey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were praising him because they thought also that he was going to establish his kingdom on earth. A few days later, they're going to see that you know, he wasn't the Messiah that they, that they thought he was. They're going to see him big, being given over to the Romans, and their eyes are going to think, Man, this is the guy we're waiting for? This is this what we're waiting for, and they're going to reject him. And instead of crying out, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they're going to, be given, they're going to give him over uh, to Rome to be crucified. And so we see again that there's always these two mixed responses when it comes to Jesus. And, I mean, this is something that, that always happens, right? When the question of Jesus' Lordship comes up to anybody, people will either have uh, one of those two responses, either reject or embrace now, that's a question that, that, that we're posed with uh, every single day. It's not just once in your lifetime, all right, I gave my life to the Lord one day and that's it, right? But it's something that, that we got to kind of just, you know, uh, uh, deal with every single day. It's like every day we're, we'll wake up and we're posed with the question, hey man, are you going to allow Jesus to rule over your life? 
I wake up every single morning and I don't, I don't say this to try to make myself seem holy or nothing, but this is just what I do. I wake up, I half asleep and I just say, thank you, Lord. And I say, and I pray, you know, not a huge long prayer because I'm so tired. I just say, Lord, thank you for today. I say, Lord, have your will in my life today. That's it. That, those are my prayers in the morning. Lord, have your will in my life today. That's it. Right? And, and that, I'm, I'm surrendering my will over to, to, Lord, to Jesus' Lordship. And all of us are, are, are posed with that question every single day. Right? Just as these guys were posed with that, with, that, with that question that day. All right, what are you going to do? Are you going to receive Jesus or are you going to reject him? We're posed with that every single day. And the question is, are you going to allow Jesus to rule and reign over your life? The Bible tells us this in John 1. In John 1, 11, it says, talking about Jesus, it says, He came to His own, it says, but His own did not receive Him. It says, but as many as did receive Him, to them He gave Him the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, or not of the will of the flesh, or not of the will of man, but of the will of God. Right? And so the Bible says that as everyone is posed with those two questions, He says, many are going to reject, that's fine. You know, God has given each and every one of us a free will, and He's not going to violate your free will. He's, he's given us a free will, and He's going to let us do whatever we want with it. Right? That's, that, that's us. Even though God is the owner and the creator of all things, there, there's, there's one thing that He's, gonna, that he's not going to take possession of, and that's of your heart, of your own free will. And, and so, for us who, 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 does, who, who choose to, to give up our free will and to, and, to, and, to, and to give it over to God and to allow God to, 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 to reign in our lives, Right? He says, hey man, to those, to those who reject, they're going to reject. He says, but those who receive them, he says, to those who give them the right to be called children of God. Interesting because we you hear that thrown, thrown around a lot right, by politicians, by just people in general. You think, hey man, we're all children of God. We're all equal. We're all this, that, the other. But biblically speaking, that's not true. The Bible says that only those who, who receive God's gift of salvation can, can have the privilege of being called children of God. Right? To those who have been redeemed. And so that's something that, 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 we're, that we're posed with every single day. That's a question that, 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 and, and, uh, and a situation that we're posed with every single day, man. Are you going to let God reign and rule over your life? Or are you going to reject Him? It's up to us, pretty much. And so with that, we're going to finish our study. And, uh, and I'm super excited to, to go through this week. Um, I want to just uh, let you guys know that uh, we're working something on the, on the social media. So if you guys...